0: Well, now I don't know how to transition from that. <clears throat> oh, strengthen my weak knees. I don't know how many of y'all feel that, right? Coming in a little worn, a little tired. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer again <laughs> before we dive in. To this passage today, gracious God, um, we humbly just come before you as a as a people in need. Um, Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would have, help our hearts to come undone before you today, um, and that you would, by your grace, uh, administer to us the sort of love and compassion, and forgiveness, that we need to be restored, renewed, um, that we would see Jesus uh, as big, as bigger than any sort of problem that we might be carrying in here. And if we are carrying burdens in here, I pray that, Jesus, you would take them, that you would take them. So we pray this in Christ's name, amen uh john chapter 11 so if you have a bible or phone um john chapter 11 we're going to be in verses 28 through 37 and if you don't it'll be up on the screen uh as i in, no, I'll, I'll wait until after i read give the word of God what it needs. So John chapter 11, verse 28. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. If you had been here, what a statement. This statement can mean one of two things. It can mean sheer excitement over an incredible experience. Man, if you had been there, if you had been here, think of how much fun we could have had. Or it can mean the stinging pain of regret, anger, and grief, because you or someone else could not stop loss. Unfortunately for us this morning, we are experiencing the latter the deep confusion, pain, and grief of loss. And this entire narrative this morning is couched in the shadow of what, under, uh, what lies underneath of that statement, if you had been here. And what lies underneath this statement is the evil of death. Mary, Martha, and the closest people to them are looking for answers to the death of their beloved brother, and friend. And in their grief, we see the exact experience many of us have felt over the last few days as we've scrolled social media, watched the news, or talked to friends who are close to the tragedy that we've experienced in our city. Unexplained illness has brought the sting of death to the doorstep of Mary and Martha in Bethany. And unexplained violence has brought the sting of death to the doorstep of so many here in Nashville. A common thread connects us in real ways to this story. What is it? It's the sting of death. And if you had been here. What we see here is a common response to the confusion of the sting of death. Many of us in this room have, ha- have varying degrees of responses to this sting, such as emotive responses like grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Some of us may have a more philosophical response, such as death is just a transition from the mind and the soul away from the body to another state. Or that death is inevitable, not to be feared. It's just natural. So just live a good life because it's all you have is this one life. Or the fear of death gives meaning to life. It produces in us a deep sense of our own morality, which motivates us to live a more fuller life these philosophical thoughts are just a few and aren't, aren't mutually exclusive. They can actually overlap. Um, experientially, some of us are simply moved to action when death happens. We want to fix it immediately. We want answers. We want to find a way out. But What I want to accomplish by stating these few things, this emotive, intellectual, and experiential responses, is naming the diverse ways that we can respond to the sting of death, whether right or wrong. And the obvious thing that this text brings to us is that we are insufficient in our ability to make sense of that sting we can tend to run to uncontrollable emotive responses or reason away our feelings and the reality of death within our minds. We are desperately in need of a living encounter with someone who can handle emotively, philosophically, and even experientially the sting of death. And as we think about the story of scripture, we have to start back at the garden and in the garden, it's how things should have been and it's how things should be. There was no sting. There was only life. There was no need to say, if you had been here, God was always there. There was no fear. There was only unshakable confidence in, God, in the God who is there. So for those of us here without categories for making sense of death, the Bible makes no mistake when it answers the question, what's the problem in the world? And as we reflect on this passage, we are confronted with some of life's biggest questions. Why do we experience loss and suffering? Why or how do we reconcile the existence of evil with the belief in a loving and benevolent God? How do we respond to grief and pain in our own lives? And these questions, I want to say, are all valid, friends. But I want to take us to the feet of Jesus with a different question. Why would I want to do that? Those questions are valid. Those questions are important but I want to take us somewhere else because I believe Jesus is the perfect man, the God in the garden who is there, who is here, who is the one who can meet every need, answer every question, and especially give us hope in light of the sting of death. So the question I want us to explore this morning is this, what is Jesus to us? in times of grief. What is Jesus to us in times of grief? So let's look at John 11. So what is Jesus to us in times of grief? As the scene opens up, we have Mary at home mourning the death of her dear brother. Martha, her sister had already gone outside of the house to meet Jesus. And now Martha has returned to Mary in her grief still inside the house to let her know that Jesus is just outside the town. Martha has just interacted with Jesus, wondering why it took him so long. She says to him, if you had only been here. Have you ever wondered that in the midst of your grief? Have you ever wondered about the timing of Jesus? When is he going to show up? And what we get here is Martha and now Mary being met by Jesus at just the right moment, which is actually in our own categories, really backwards. It's incredibly backwards. In their minds, Jesus is late. He's missed it and his timing is actually inconvenient. But this narrative tells us that Jesus received word three days ago. So he moseyed along from Jerusalem to Bethany. And he was aware of what was happening, but now he is present for them, three days too late. But can we really say that Jesus was late? Jesus is actually on time. He's not a minute early or late. He's exactly where he should be, when he should be, for the women in their grief. He does the same for us. It may seem backwards, but even in the midst of our grief and our suffering and our pain and our questions and our confusion, Jesus is always on time. And that's a hard tension to live in. And what does he do when he shows up on time? As Mary sits inside her home weeping, Jesus calls her by name. The teacher is here, Martha says, and he's calling for you. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. Martha said it. It's not a generic call. It's a specific call. He's calling for you. And what a profound gift it is to be called in the midst of your suffering and grief and pain by Jesus. In pain and sorrow, there is a deep sense of loneliness. Whether we are the one immediately affected by the pain and the sorrow, or whether we are the ones that are on the outside of someone else's pain and sorrow, it can be a profoundly deep and lonely place. So the grief that is so isolating and being called out by Jesus is actually a really, really profound thing. It has a deep and profound impact on us. And the sting of death and grief, it causes, it can be loud and it is loud. And it normally speaks so much louder than Jesus's voice calling out to you to come out of your pain and your grief. And we can get stuck in it. And we can travel down the rabbit hole of despair and lose all sense of place. If you notice Mary is in her home in the town of Bethany on the outskirts of Jerusalem, but she is utterly alone and in despair. She's grieving, and Jesus comes to her in the midst of her grief, in her place, and he calls her to come to him. I wonder how much we need the same thing. For Jesus to come to us right in the midst of our grief, in our place, and to call to us to come to him. But how does she respond to his calling? Martha, a few verses earlier in her grief, had gone to Jesus, she sought him out. She left her place and ran to him right away. And Mary, on the other hand, didn't leave when Martha did. Why is that? The sting of death can do different things to different people. Some of us can feel really deeply the pain, the anger, and the confusion, and we can move quickly to action. What needs to be done? Who needs to be contacted? What system needs to be put in place? How can we ensure that this never happens again? On the other hand, some of us, like Mary, we are paralyzed in grief, stuck inside our house of grief and pain and in death's shadow. Mary doesn't run with Martha because grief has a hold of her in a different way. Neither is necessarily wrong, but real responses nonetheless. So what we see here is where we run when Jesus is calling us really matters. What we run to really matters. And whether we run like Martha or we are stuck in the house of grief, like Mary, when we run, we can vary to what we actually run to. Jesus is calling us and we might run to, I'll leave it for you to fill in the blank. I could put many things out there, counseling, therapy, medication, our reason, our intellect, drugs, alcohol, fill in the blank. We can run to those things quickly in our grief. And I think that that's an important thing to notice in the midst of our grief. But what Mary does here is she hears him. And what does she do? She runs. Even though she didn't run the first time, Martha comes back the second time and says, the teacher is here and he's calling you. And this time she gets up to run. So what we see is Jesus can send a friend. One, two, three, four, five, six or more times to say to you, Jesus is here and He's calling you. And when you finally hear, will you run? Because He will receive you if you run to Him. And that's what He does to Mary. Mary comes to Him, and what kind of presence does Jesus give to her when she gets to Him in her grief and in her sorrow? As Mary quickly jumps up like a spooked doe out of bed, she runs the distance out of the house of grief, outside of the city and outside of the source of where her pain resides and becomes vulnerable before Jesus. She becomes undone at his feet. You see, when Jesus calls us to himself, it's not to get yourself together. It's not to say, okay, I need to go put on my best suit, my best jacket, and then I can come to him, or I need to get my mind right, or I need to figure my emotions out. No, Mary jumps up quickly, and she runs, and what does the text say that she does? She falls at his feet and becomes undone. And what she says is she comes in a posture of worship, and in the same way, she says to him what Martha says lord if you would have been here and this is the very same question that martha said and mary weeps at Jesus' feet mary laments at Jesus' feet she says the very thing that is on her mind and what that's saying to us is that friends in the midst of our grief and our sorrow and our pain is that you can just come and fall at the feet of jesus and unload. Don't hold back. It is easy for us in the midst of our pain and our grief and our suffering to think that it is sin for us to lament the very questions and the thoughts that come into our minds as if Jesus cannot or will not receive us or receive them. And honestly, if we're really real about it, it's because we don't think he can handle them. But he can, and he does, and he receives Mary. Do you think that Jesus can handle your vulnerability? What if he really isn't put off by the sting of death and what it causes in your life? What if he's not? Some of us today need to come undone with Jesus. Today. Not today. After church, maybe even right now, we need to come undone with Jesus because he, quite frankly, is the safest presence that you can be vulnerable in. And as Mary weeps, vulnerable in her presence, in the presence of Jesus, what is his response? And this is also something that happens in our grief and in our pain and our suffering as we begin to think that Jesus is going to respond to us in harsh or annoyed ways. But what is his response with her? Mary is vulnerable. Jesus looks upon her weeping, and then he looks to see others accompanying her weeping just as intensely. And this scene is incredibly somber and it's emotionally pregnant. And what arises within Jesus at the sight of their weeping is a deep feeling from the pit of his being the deepest feeling from the pit of his being. Jesus, at the sight of their weeping, is deeply moved and greatly troubled. Is he deeply moved and greatly troubled at her for coming to him? For, at them for weeping? What is he deeply moved and greatly troubled by? Well, if we look at the, if we take these words at face value, we could actually miss the weight of what's happening in Jesus. Jesus isn't simply deeply moved and greatly troubled. He's actually angry. But what is he angry about? He could be angry at the lack of hope shown by Mary. He could be that's logically possible, but can be perceived as cold. She's weeping. She's at his feet. She's saying, you should have been here. But if Jesus were to be stirred deeply to anger at the lack of hope from Mary, he would actually have good reason to be. And that actually that seems really cold. And the reason why he would have good reason to be is because Jesus is the son of God. And he had just declared to Martha that I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? So if we are honest, Jesus would have all the reason in the world to be moved to anger towards the lack of hope because she's coming to him as if he could do something about it as if he should have done something about it. And she's treating him as if she knew that he would do something about it, but she actually doesn't know. So Mary doesn't know what Jesus is actually about to do, but she believed that he could do something. And so he could be angry because she's saying to him, I believe that you're the son of God, but I don't know if you're really all powerful and and good enough to do this thing. And so in his anger, he's deeply moved, but it's not at her. I think there's more to his anger than just at the lost hope. Now let me explain. So if you look at verse 38, he has the same thing said about him. He is deeply moved, but what is he facing? What is he looking at? He's looking at a cave. He's looking at a tomb with a stone rolled over it and a dead man, Lazarus, laying inside. And he's deeply moved in the same way. And so what I wanted to suggest to us is that Jesus is angered at the loss of hope. But he's not angered at the loss of hope because you are hopeless. He's angered at the loss of hope because hope is eroded by death. You know what it feels like, right? Just a little sting, a little suffering, a little grief, and you begin to question, are you really good, God? Are you really going to show up, God? Are you really benevolent? Are you really kind? Are you really all-powerful? And every sting of pain and grief begins to erode at your hope and erode at your hope and erode at it. Am I the only one here who's felt that? Am I the only one here who's sensed that? Am I the only one here who's currently living that? This is why we need Jesus to be angry. And it's not angry at us specifically. It's angry at the effect of death and what it causes within us. Jesus is angered by hope eroded by death. And so Marilyn Robinson in her amazing book, Gilead, gives us a little bit of hope here and gives us a word for this eroded hope by death. She describes this entire town in this book. She says this, this whole town does look like whatever hope becomes after it begins to weary a little and then weary a little more. But hope deferred is still hope. Even if it wearies, even if it gets to the smallest ounce of hope, hope deferred is still hope. And you see, Jesus is angry at the root of your eroded hope. And that root is death and the cause of sin that leads to death. And what he wants to say to you now is see my anger towards death. But don't assume my anger is because of your wearied hope, and don't assume that when you come to me that I'm going to be angry at you because you're becoming undone and you seem hopeless. No, he knows what's about to happen. He knows what's going to come, even when we can't see what's next. And that's where we move a little bit further into the story, but not only is Jesus moved within himself toward anger at hope eroded by death, we also see him prove to us he's not cold and he's not distant or angry because you can't get yourself figured out. Jesus actually steps closer to the heart of Mary and Martha's grief. Jesus knew what was going to happen. And instead of just telling them, look, I'm going to resurrect him. He does something different. Isn't that what we all kind of want to hear sometimes? We want to see the end when we're at the beginning or the middle. We want to we get past it. Jesus doesn't do that for them here. He does something different. You see, sometimes people will come to us in the midst of our grief and our sorrow and our hope, and what they'll do is they'll give us a platitude. They'll say, you'll be okay. God's not going to waste this suffering. Or he's going to turn your evil into good or use this for good. And all of these things can be true, but that's not what Jesus does here. He doesn't say to her, hey, hold on a second just give me a moment i'm going to resurrect him he doesn't say that instead of telling mary that he, what he told martha that i am the resurrection and the life what does jesus do instead he says where have you laid him he steps into the source of her pain even closer and he weeps he weeps He doesn't give her a saying. He doesn't give her a Bible verse. He doesn't give her a platitude. He gives her his presence and he weeps. And why does he weep? And this is going to be really simplistic of an answer. It's because he's perfect. It's because he knows exactly in the exact moment what to do and how to do it because he's fully perfect human and he's fully God. And he lives before the face of God, perfectly in tune to the Spirit's moving. And he sees her weeping. And instead of giving her a ministry of truth, he gives her a ministry of tears. He is the embodiment of love to her and to those people in that moment. And friends, the closer we walk with Jesus, the more acquainted we are with the ministry of tears. Not less acquainted, the more acquainted we are. We weep with those who weep. And before the ministry of truth is expressed and the power of the resurrection is experienced, Jesus comes to the source of her grief and our grief. And what he does is he weeps with us. He feels in himself and he weeps. So what is so powerful about this story is how it reshapes the trajectory of our grief. And quite frankly, it reshapes the trajectory of, our, of everything we experience in this life. And Jesus doesn't simply offer a consolation to Mary and Martha. He offers them now resurrection. So he steps into their grief and he weeps and he just doesn't offer a consolation. He offers them resurrection. And the end of this scene has the onlookers not questioning his love. They said, no, look, he's weeping. Look at how he loved him. They are questioning why he could not keep him alive. Why could he not remove the sting of death? So why couldn't he keep him alive? And I want to say it's because he he knew what needed to happen and what was going to happen and how much more powerful it would have been if they would have had to work through their grief and their suffering and their pain and had, had seen Lazarus go to death so that they might actually receive and experience the transforming power of resurrection. So, what Jesus offers them is not just a consolation where he says, I will take you out of this pain to another world. Oh no. What he is actually offering them is very, very profound. So what does resurrection then mean? What does it mean? It's that Jesus has brought the power of heaven to earth This power will make a new heaven and a new earth. And the power of the resurrection is going to envelope everything. Everything is going to be touched by it. Not a square inch of this place will be left untouched by the resurrection power of Jesus. And you see, Jesus stands at the tomb and he calls Lazarus out. Four days dead, he calls him out. And everything bad that Mary and Martha thought happened will become untrue with just a few words, but it wasn't when they thought it would would be. They had to weep. They had to run to Jesus. They had to sense his anger. They had to feel his presence. And then they had to see him do something that they did not expect. Though they believed him to be the son of God, though they believed him to have the power to resurrect the dead and to give life They had to go through all of that. But the reality is, is Jesus was actually with them the entire time. And what we see here is when Jesus calls Lazarus out and you can imagine that moment that Lazarus takes off the bandage and everything that had been dark. And the first thing he sees is what John calls the light of the world the light of the world that has come here and the darkness has not overcome it. It's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 60, 20, when he says, the Lord will be your light and your days of sorrow will end. Lazarus takes off that bandage, opens his eyes from the black and sees Jesus. But this small moment of resurrection is just a foretaste though of what is about to come. You see, this grief and sorrow of Mary and Martha, Jesus became well acquainted with. If you read the rest of this story, Jesus raises Lazarus and the Pharisees knew they had to kill him. That is wild. He raises a man from the dead and they go, we have to kill this man. And Jesus knew he had to die. Why? Why? Because in his death, he would ensure that we would actually experience resurrection. That him going through the immense amount of pain and suffering and agony and bloodshed and death, that we would actually be able to then receive and experience the resurrection that he promises, the resurrection that he offers Friends, Jesus took the violence of the cross, was enclosed in the darkness of the tomb. And while many stood outside weeping, no one had the power to resurrect him outside of that tomb. No one did. The one who had all power to stop pain and grief and suffering was willing to choose to endure pain and grief and suffering for you and for me. He is well acquainted with our grief. He is well acquainted with our sorrow. And at the cross, some said that he was God if he could come off that thing. If he could just come off the cross, then he surely is God. But what does he do? He stays. He stays on the cross. He stays in agony. He stays in pain. He stays with the, the piercedness of the nails in his hands and his feet. He stays with the gasps of breath and air and wondering, when is this going in? And you could feel the, he stays in the agony. The one who is willing and able to give life stays in the pains and the throes of death. But for what purpose? For what purpose does he do it? And after being swallowed up by the utter darkness of death, early on Sunday morning, light broke in. Light came from the darkness of the tomb, not the other way around. Because pain comes in the night, but friends, joy comes in the morning. Jesus rolled back his own tomb, folded up his own clothes, and passed through death to resurrection. So when you and I face the darkness, of this world, we have the certainty that hope will arise, that hope will come to us, that it is a certainty. It is not something that death will have the last word in, but light will dawn and it will dawn forever. Because Jesus has resurrected and is resurrected, everything sad will come untrue. But that does not mean that we do not pass through the shadow of the death now. But what we do know is that we fear no evil for his rod and his staff, they comfort us because he is well acquainted again with grief and sorrow and suffering. And while, and this is what what was so hard for me is I wanted it to go away. And even as I sit here, I feel pain in my body and I want it to go away but Jesus has not taken it away. And what Paul says to me and what is becoming such a comfort to me now is that I share in his suffering. And in sharing in his suffering, I too will share in his resurrection. And we need that. So what is Jesus to us in times of grief? Jesus is the one we run to. Jesus is the one calling us at, this ver- at the very moment we need. Jesus is the one angry, seeing our hope eroded by death. Jesus is the one who enters our source of grief and he weeps. And Jesus is the one who goes through death to ensure that we will be resurrected. He is this for you, for me, for us all. And we all want to skip the experience of death. We all want to. And we just want to skip right through it to experience resurrection. But it is in the pain and the tears and the confusion that we know, again, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And if you are with me, I am becoming more like you. By sharing in your suffering. Do you believe this? And if you don't believe this, I beg you now to come to Jesus, to come undone, to open yourself up. Some of you are holding on to pain and grief and loss from the past. I'm not saying to forget it, but I'm saying to bring it to Jesus to come undone. Do not hold on. It is continuing to erode at the hope to which He is wanting to instill in your life. Come undone today and let Him put you back together. So as, as we close, I want to ask you to, to put yourself in a posture to receive this hymn. I'm going to read it as a prayer over us And if you need to come undone before Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. If you need to sit in silence and confess, I want to give you that opportunity. But of anything, I want to read this over you. So please hear these words. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I come to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I find him in a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one. Stoop down and drink and live I come to Jesus and I drink of that living stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, your morn shall rise and all your days be bright. I looked to Jesus and I found In him, my star, my sun, and in that light of life, I'll walk till travailing days are done. Jesus, we ask you to come. And as we prepare for the table, we ask for our hearts to be stirred, to be ready, to receive your body broken and your blood shed. So do this now for us. Meet us here. Minister to us, Holy Spirit. Call us to Jesus now. Amen.